I'm Joy Manning, a freelance writer focused on food and health. And I'm Marisa McClellan, creator of Food in Jars. Welcome to Local Mouthful. We're here to talk shop with obsessed home cooks everywhere. This week, I want to tell you about the return of my meal calendar, Marisa's plans for holiday treats, and Tex-Mex succotash. So let's get into that, shall we? Yeah, I want to hear the the meal planning calendar is back, Joy. You may recall, for years, I maintained a Google Meals calendar. In a perfect world, I planned my meals and put them on the calendar imperfectly. I would fill it in after the fact, but it would be a record of everything I cooked and ate that would be super helpful in terms of shopping, coming up with new meal plans, like keeping favorites in the rotation. And for the entire duration of this pandemic, I have not been able to do it. But it's been a hard time. For the past 30 days, (gasps) I I have recorded all I didn't want to talk about this until like I had a streak going. (laughs) But now I've done it for 30 days. And I'm so proud of myself. Now, what do you think gave you the, the space or ability or capacity to bring it back? Shame guilt knowing i should do it i don't know um do you feel better having it happen i do i and i noticed something which is i was typing i keep this in a google doc i make a separate color-coded calendar for just the meals um Mm -hmm. and so i was typing in one night i was making portobello burgers and there was a hunk of cabbage in the fridge you know hat tip to our cabbage special from last week (laughs) <laughs> and I knew I was going to have some kind of cabbage on the side. But as I was typing, um, my I typed with uh, cabbage, roasted cabbage and mustardy lentils. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. So it was like the idea came out my fingers as I was typing. And oh, then, interesting. Yeah. So then I made that and it was really good. So that feels like a kernel of an idea. And then you may have seen on my Instagram stories um, on Tuesday, Tuesday is the day before I go grocery shopping. Now, I didn't commit mm-hmm. this to my calendar in advance, but I was just sort of scrounging around for stuff to eat. And I pulled uh, some fresh pasta out of the freezer to let it thaw. Dan pulled what I, it's probably the last of our arugula out of the backyard garden, such as it is. Um I rehydrated some sun-dried tomatoes for like an arugula sun-dried tomato pesto. And I had half a block of tofu sitting around in there. So I crumbled it and um, seasoned it like sausage. And then I Mm -hmm. roasted it until it was sort of like crispy at the edges. And when I put it all together, I was like, wow, this is great. (laughs) So now that I, and then I wrote it on the meal calendar. Um, Fresh pasta with arugula and sun-dried tomato pesto with sausage tofu and so it's not lost you know what i'm saying like now i'll be able i could do that again in a more organized fashion i could create a recipe around it i mean at the very least i'll want to eat it again it was very good so it sounds delicious there's just like a lot of um positive things around keeping this calendar going so i'm going to really try to stick with it and as we are improbably now in december I am thinking about New Year's resolutions and keeping a meal plan calendar seems to be a good one for me for the the year ahead. Do you keep track of what you eat? 
Um, sometimes like I, I have a, I do have a Google, a shared Google calendar with Scott that is, um, titled dinners. And so if I'm really organized and on top of things, um, I'll tuck them in there so that he knows because otherwise he'll ask me three times a day, what are we having for dinner again? Oh, Dan does that too. Do you tell him and then he forgets? Uh huh. Constantly. It's annoying to me. me crazy. It shows it just is like, oh, this is the kind of freedom that you have around dinner when you just are served a delicious, (laughs) healthy dinner every night. You just don't even have to be bothered to remember it. No, yeah, it's like, oh, he, he, Scott knows that his meals will show up. Yeah. And he has to participate very little in that. And, uh, sometimes that's exhausting. But yeah, so I, I do, when I'm on top of things, I plunk them into that, um, into our shared calendar so that he knows, um, because otherwise I have to answer that question a million times. But, um, I, I'm not always on top of things like that. Or, you, you know me, I will make a batch of soup that's designed to last three nights in a row. And so on night two, I can be like, we're just having that same thing again, you know, just mm-hmm. just the same soup. Um, but I would like to be a little bit more organized with it. But I've never succeeded at maintaining that over more than, you know, like – a month or so. And then it's sort of, I just get overwhelmed by life. But I like the idea of being someone who keeps a record or a documentation of what they're cooking, because otherwise, I do default to the same things over and over again. And while I feel like there's some comfort and, um, I don't know, safety ease in having a repertoire that you make over and over again, and you know, the same dozen things, it you do get tired of those flavors and those tastes and remembering the that meal that kind of made your palate so happy because it was something new and different it's nice to be able to do that and so i think that your your document once now that you're back into it i think it really has a lot of value yeah i'm really hoping i can stick with it i may don't hold me to this because I'm not sure it's possible, but I think I can just make my meal calendar public. I might share it with our Patreon members, uh, A, mm. so they can see it, so they can get ideas, and B, so I can be held accountable to, to what I said I was yeah. going to do, which is um, maintain it. So do you generally feel like it's making you more creative, too? Like you mentioned that with the mustardy cabbage. A little bit. A little bit. Mostly yeah. it makes me feel more organized and like... it. It gives me a sense, like it frees up some mental space. Like I'm not remember trying to remember I wrote it down, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. So anyway, no. I guess that's my uh, that's my gold star for me for the week. And uh, hopefully, it will actually turn into meal planning at some point. But we're not quite there I yet. I think even just meal documenting has is plenty to to feel good about right now. Yes. Um. So, as I mentioned, improbably, it's December, the holidays are here, and you're going to bake. I am going to bake. I So, I have always wanted to be the kind of person who gives homemade treats out for the holidays. I mean, I know I am. I am a person who gives out homemade treats. But growing up, we had um, some friends who gave us sort of the same assortment every year, you know, some homemade caramels, some cookies, a little nut loaf. And as a kid, I loved it. I like, I looked forward to it. There was a great deal of anticipation about receiving Eleanor's, you know, plate of, um, holiday treats. And 
I want to be that person. I want to be the person who gives out the holiday treats to people and have them excited for that. And I feel like now is the time. It is like I am creating my boys are finally like I think they're they're really turning into like people who have attitudes and express themselves and they have opinions and likes and dislikes. And I want to I want to be this person in their childhood. I want to be the person like I want to have traditions around making things around the holidays. And, and now is the time to start implementing these, these habits and these traditions. So I'm not going to go crazy, but I'm working on developing like a little maybe four or five treat array that become my recipes. And so I've been digging through some books and trying to find them. And I know that there's going to be shifts and changes. But uh, I, you know, I think that I want to be someone who does more of a slice and bake cookie. I'm doing a little cookie exchange with one of my um, neighbors this year where it's just the two of us and we're going to make some frozen cookie dough and exchange it. And that's, that's what really got me thinking. Yeah, I think so. Because I've always wanted to have like a big cookie exchange that I go to or host. I don't have the space to host that sort of thing or the ambition. And since we're still in this pandemic, right, it doesn't feel wise to have like a, you know, like have my building throw a cookie exchange. Like that seems like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So I feel like frozen cookie dough with a neighbor is a good starting point because I'm baking it myself. So I know that, you know, any bugs or germs will be killed off. And, and it's just something to look forward to. And having little kids who still can't be vaccinated, I need, <laughs> life is still pretty limited, and I need some things to look forward to this. So this is my thing. And I'm hoping to expand it. But so I am I for with for this exchange with um my friend Leslie, we I'm good. She's making some things and I'm going to make my beloved oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. I think we've talked about it on the show before. Those are one of my favorites. I'm going to do some uh, and I'm going to freeze those in little balls for her. I'm going to do some slice and bake ginger snaps um, and um, some sugar cookies. And then another one that I feel like is a cookie that is mine that I might just have to make and give to her or make and freeze raw. I'm not sure it like but full formed would be a thumbprint cookie like that to me feels like it needs to be my signature cookie because of the jam cookie yeah yeah it, you know something has to be really jam centric and so i'm trying to think of how that could best be conveyed as a frozen cookie hmm. i i have a just a logistical question would you create the thumb bin- thumbprint cookie with its divot for the jam freeze it and then with the instructions to add the jam when you bake That's it? what I'm thinking. Like then you give her a jar of jam and then freeze them pre-molded. I think that would be and really then just cute. Say, I think so. That might actually make a really good blog post. <laughs> now that we're talking through, I should do something on food and jars about how to how to gift frozen um, thumbprint cookies in my, you know, in all the free time I have for blogging these days. I'm for but, that. Um, I think that sounds I think that sounds cute. Yeah. And then um I also want to perhaps add Mandelbrot to the mix too, which is a, a traditionally Jewish cookie that is sort of like um, biscotti. So it's a twice baked, typically um, very heavily cinnamoned cookie. And, you know, it feels very right to me to give a Jewish cookie around the uh, 
Christmas holidays because it sort of sums up, you know, my own upbringing where I had one foot in Jewish tradition and one foot in the sort of Christian light Unitarian world. So um, I feel like that kind of brings together all the pieces for me. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Can I ask you a question that pertains to my holiday baking plans? Yeah. I w- I'm going to make um, shortbread, a delicious vegan shortbread with lemon curd. I made mm-hmm. this last year and both things are very delicious, but I couldn't quite get the lemon curd the color I wanted. I was using turmeric, which was both not exactly the right color and not the right flavor, obviously. Oh, because the color normally comes from egg yolks. Okay. So I kind of want to get a bottle of yellow food coloring for this occasion. Yeah. Do do you have food coloring in your house? And do you have, where would I buy it? It's not that they don't have it at the South Philly Food Co-op. Do you I have would any say Fontes. Fontes. I have in, to go to Fontes yeah. anyway. In their baking section. Like they have a really extensive baking section there. They will have it. That is exactly what I will do. Thank you. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what I, I just welcome. want a real bright, sunny color. Because the flavor the is thing, really good. You might just consider also adding a little bit of, do you do the zest of the fruit and then strain it out? I don't think I added zest last year. Oh, see, when I make lemon curd or any curd, what I do is, I, I'm, and I'm not sure what the vegan curd process is, but before it's done, I always run it through a sieve. So I add um, the grated zest of the lemons to the mix bef- kind of while it cooks. Mm-hmm. And that also extracts some color. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you do, if you, you could also add some orange just for the color. Right. And then strain it all out to make it smooth. The process is basically like a pudding, like a cornstarch pudding. Got it. Okay. Um, and I was surprised to learn that a lot of the commercially available lemon curds have no egg in them at all. They're vegan. Oh, interesting. So anyway. They must be using food coloring then. If I really get my act together, I will bring you some. <laughs> well, I'm planning on doing some oil-based cookies, so I'll try to set some aside for you. You you do not even have to do that, but, you know. I would like to. Ooh, a meringue. No, like a vegan meringue, like a, um aquafaba, aquafaba meringue. I've always I- been- I yeah, haven't I've done that. I want to try that. I will say, just in case you do that, Fran Costigan, who is a friend of the show and a professional vegan cookbook author and baking teacher, she says to reduce your aquafaba for best results. You know, so you get it out of the oh, can and then you put it and you reduce uh-huh. it. I think she says by about one third. So oh, wow. I thought okay. I'd just share that tip with you. Um, I thought I had one more baking question for you, but it just flew out of my brain. Um, well, I guess it's a... It's a long December. No, it'll actually well, be like a super short December, though. Before we move on from this topic, too, I just wanted to recommend a couple of or a trio of books that I'm working from this year in case anybody's looking for some inspiration. Um, the first one is Sarah Kiefer's 100 Cookbooks that came out last year, I think. I really love that book. Um, she also has a holiday book, baking book that just came out that I have not gotten yet. Um, I didn't request it. Uh, I feel guilty asking for review copies these days because I'm doing so little writing. So I haven't been doing that much. Um, but I, I saw it the other day and it looks beautiful. The other one that, um, I just bought that I pre-ordered, um, is a book called Advent by Anya Dunk. She's a British food writer and it's so pretty here. I'm going to show it up. Show it. Look, look at this color joy. It's like this deep, deep green with gold on the cover. Festive. It's really beautiful. It's very festive and it's like German holiday cooking and baking. So that one is, it's just fun and beautiful. And then I've got an ancient book that I want to recommend to folks. Um, 
It's by Mimi Sheridan. She was the uh, restaurant critic at the New York Times a very long time ago now. It's called Visions of Sugar Plums. And um, the subtitle is A Cookbook of Cakes, Cookies, Candies, and Confections from All the Countries that Celebrate Christmas. And it's a really great book because it covers a wide range of holiday traditions. And if you are a uh, holiday dabbler like me, it's fun to just kind of dip in and find something new in there. So and I think it's out of print, but I found there are a bunch of copies out there. I got this one on like thrift books or something like that for a couple of dollars. I don't know. Um, Just on the topic of books and buying them online. One of my other New Year's resolutions for next year is to buy nothing on Amazon. What did you say? Book thrift? Thrift book. Thrift it's book. a it's an online used bookstore, and it's one of my favorite stops for when I know that something is kind of old. I go there first. Good tip. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, shift gears a bunch here, and let, let me talk you through um, my Tex-Mex succotash. So. Traditional succotash is something that's typically made in the summertime. You know, it's lima beans and corn, um, onions, sometimes peppers and onions. And the, and I've started making what I'm calling my Tex-Mex succotash. And it was funny because I started making it and then I thought, this is a lot like succotash. And I never really make succotash, but I make this bean thing all the time. And so, you know, I, it includes black beans, some sauteed peppers and onions, corn. And I mean, honestly, it's the sort of thing that I make by opening cans. So I start, you know, so it's a can, cans of black beans, cans of corn. And I start by um, sauteing some onion in a pan with a little bit of oil, vegetable, olive oil, something like that, add a little garlic, a pinch of salt, because it's the goal here is not to really get color on the onions, but just to kind of soften them. And then I add a little bit of cumin to get that toasty and release the oils and get it really fragrant. And then I add the black bean, um, the peppers, black beans, corn and stir it together. And then at the very end, I add a little bit of lime juice. And sometimes I throw other things in if I have other vegetables that need to be used up. I have certainly added some cilantro to this at times when there's like the end of the bunch. I have even added some kale when there was some that I needed to use up, but we eat it over rice sometimes. Sometimes I eat it over, just eat it with corn chips. It's a really easy and delicious sort of not quite chili, not quite like a black bean salsa situation that I enjoy a lot. And I, I, I hope no one is offended by the name Tex-Mex Succotash. I don't know, you know, but it just seems like the right sort of mashup of handles to put on it. But I love it. Yeah, it sounds really good. It is really good and it's really easy. And it's one of those things that you can make with just about what you have. I always have onions and garlic. The peppers are sort of, if you don't have them, that's okay. You could add some, um, half, have like cherry or grape tomatoes as well. It's just a very easy, flexible little thing. You can tuck it into burritos or a quesadilla. It sounds like it's the nice. type of thing that would be good for breakfast with the, if you enjoy eggs, a couple of eggs on top of it. Yeah. I mean, you could even do it as a uh, tofu scramble situation. Oh, or yeah. I have, I've been making um, that crumbled tofu bite thing that you recommended oh, a while back. I was thinking about that just yesterday, and I was going to ask you if you ever made it. <laughs> I have made it like four or five times now. Do the kids like it? They like it. Scott and I like it. It's super easy. I like how the leftovers, when you reheat them, get kind of chewy, mm-hmm. like pleasantly chewy. And I feel like you could 
add some cumin and garlic, a little extra garlic to that mix that you put on there and turn those crumbles into more of like a Tex-Mex flavor. Oh, sure. And add that to it. Do you remember earlier when I was talking about my pasta with the sausage crumbles? Yeah. It was kind of that basic technique, but seasoned with sausage type seasonings. Yeah. So, and if folks don't remember or didn't listen to that episode, I think it was from Doesn't Taste Like Chicken. It Doesn't Taste Like Chicken. Yeah. Tofu Bites. And basically you crumble up a block of tofu or two blocks. You add a little bit of oil, some uh, nutritional yeast, salt, pepper, garlic powder, soy sauce. Um, I think it's garlic powder. Maybe it's onion powder. I add both. And then you just spread it on a baking sheet and bake it. One thing I have started doing is she says to spread it across two. Mm-hmm. I'm very lazy and I don't want to wash two baking sheets. So I just kind of cram it on one and it's still fine. I just bake it a little bit longer. You're feeding more people than me, but I almost never do two whole blocks of tofu as the recipe suggests. I usually like I, when I did that pasta, I used just half a block and often I just do one, but you have four mouths to feed. Yeah. Or we, five. We definitely. Wait, how many are you? Four. 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 <laughs> Sorry. I lost count of the people no. in your household. <laughs> Yeah. And so two blocks provides uh, enough dinner for everyone plus some leftovers, which I have been known to eat those bites cold out of the fridge as a snack. They're really good and super easy. And they go in a bunch of different directions, too. Like I've also served them with teriyaki sauce for the oh, boys. Like we'll do some brown rice and then they're really into dipping sauces right now. So I'll make them a little bit bigger for them. And then they dip them into the teriyaki sauce and they really like that. This was a little bit of a spontaneous side road here. So try to ping me later. So I remember to put it in the show notes so that um, I don't forget. And if I do forget, just ping me and I'll add it. And also, again, just Google. It doesn't taste like chicken tofu bites. Yeah, it's a great recipe. It's definitely one of the things that has become part of my personal repertoire because it just is another nice way to make tofu. And it's so versatile. So versatile, so easy. And I, I love standing by the pan right when it comes out of the oven, eating the teeny tiny crispy bits. Oh, yeah. The best part. To me, that's it's so good. It's just so satisfying. Um, yeah. So that you could add that to this. I also I made a batch of this last night for dinner. Mm-hmm. I added a jar of old kind of elderly salsa. And, um, and then we ate it over rice. So it added sort of like a chili component. Mm-hmm. But then what I did is I took all of the leftovers from last night and put them together. So I stirred the rice into it and put it in a baking dish. And tonight I'm just going to put a little bit of cheese on top and bake it. And then that will become dinner again. Casserole. In sort of a, a, yeah. In a sort of a slightly different format from what we had last night. Yeah. Sometimes changing the format is just what you need to make it continue to be enjoyed by everyone and not feel like the same old, same old. Well, and the nice thing about doing it casserole style is that the top will get kind of crispy and crunchy. So it adds that texture, which it's nice to just have a different, like leftovers can be mush. And so by casseroling it up, I feel like it can really, you know, revive it in a good way. And can I just say as a side note, I feel like we are due for a casserole revival. I was actually looking at cookbooks recently and thinking no one's done like modern like modern casseroles it's like maybe maybe i should pitch that idea because i feel like we are poised in this moment like everything is international cooking right now and that's great but i feel like there's going to be this sort of snap back soon to like american comfort food and wouldn't like a modern lighter fresher casserole book be just what the doctor ordered i don't know maybe 
I would welcome that. <laughs> I know my mom would. She she's been asking me for casserole recipes because she's tired of everything, you know, she's just tired of what she cooks and she was looking up casseroles and they're all so heavy. She's like, I don't she doesn't want to make things that are cheese centric anymore or like creamy centric. Maybe it's a vegan casserole book. Well, yeah, you know, there was a vegan casserole book that came out a couple of years, not even a couple, like 10 years ago, eight, maybe eight or nine years ago. I should check that and out. And it's out of print. And the copies go for like $80. And I had, I had a copy of that one and I gave it away. So um, yeah, maybe it's time for, or it's like a plant-centered casserole book. Right. Make it stealth vegan like cool beans. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So I want to hear about your braised greens, Joy. Up until this past week, I don't know if I've ever truly braised greens. Like, low, really? Yes. Um, really to cook them low and slow until they don't have any resistance. They're just creamy. Um, it took maybe an hour and 15 minutes. I wasn't really timing it. I was just sort of watching it as I was working. I was inspired by the greens the greens dish at hardina which is the indonesian restaurant here in philadelphia that i know you mm -hmm. enjoy and i enjoy and they have an incredible braised greens dish and so i thought why can't i braise greens there's no reason on earth other than my impatience why i couldn't braise greens and dan has a resistance to long cooked collards or cabbage i or so i thought but I was like, he likes those greens from Hardina. So, I mean, maybe I'm just not braising them long enough, which turned out to be the case because I was mm. tasting them as I was going. And I realized that they go through different phases. You know, uh, when they're cooked a little bit, they're good. When they're cooked a medium amount, they're less good. And then after they hit that, they cross a line somewhere where they become like melting and silky and delicious. Yeah. So and all it takes is patience. And what I did was I mixed up kale and collards because that's what I had. And I put in maybe a cup of broth, uh, better uh, than bouillon, no chicken broth, a ton of onions, um, some smoked paprika. And I just like stirred and weighed it and stirred and weighed it. And it was, oh, and then what to serve, I added yellow-eyed beans, Rancho Gordo's yellow-eyed mm -hmm. beans. And we fried some slices of lost bread in a skillet with, I think, vegan butter. So they were like crispy on one side. And then I ladled the beans and greens over the toast. And it was so, so delicious. Sounds really good. And then on a subsequent day, I thought to myself, this will almost certainly faster in the pressure cooker and requires yeah. less, attention, less attention. So I did it again in the pressure cooker with less water. I used... Instead of a cup of broth, I used maybe a one quarter cup because, of course, I was working with cabbage in the pressure cooker, which so much liquid. Um, yeah, I put it under pressure for seven minutes. It was not quite as good. And then after that was done, I put it on saute mo mode to sort of evaporate some of the liquid. It wasn't quite as good as the oven method or the stovetop method, but it was still very good. Um, and same Sounds deal. Good. I added beans, put it on toast, and I just. Um, I just wanted to shout out braised greens. They're really an overlooked, by me, um, delicious way to cook uh, our favorite wintry vegetables. And I have on my yeah. wish list, um, I sort of researched recipes for this Indonesian braised greens dish. And I actually messaged the owner on Instagram to say, does this look right? Will I get something like what you serve if I make this? And she said, Yes. It requires a few specialty ingredients that I need to go get, but I want to make that. And um, 
I will report back. It sounds great. And it's the perfect thing for this time of year because it's finally gotten kind of chilly and you want to have something cooking for a long time in weather like this. So yeah, it's, I, I'm ready to, I'm, I've been working on using up. I haven't done any grocery shopping this week because I'm trying to clear out my fridge a little and I'm out of greens and I'm like, I got to go, I got to go get some greens and make some long cooked braised greens. That sounds so good. I got three bunches of uh, collards in my food works order yesterday. Oh, nice. So I'm set up. I, I predict, I predict more braised greens in your future. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> well, you know what? I think that about does it for this week's episode of Local Mouthful. Our thanks go out to Dan Call for editing the show, to Saul Rosenbaum for designing our logo, and to Raina Rose for providing the music. And thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Local Mouthful. Sign up for our newsletter, catch up on past episodes, and check out our show notes at localmouthful.com. Until next time, happy eating.